Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Have you seen the Lord of the Rings? I have, but not for a while. Stupid fact, Hobbit. You know how Gollum, like, travels across the entire world with Frodo and the whole time is just, like, watching him with the ring, thinking about how much he wants it? He stole it from us. Sneaky little hobbitsies. Wicked, crazy, false. Yes, I know that one well. (laughs) That's kind of exactly how I feel right now watching Britain get vaccinations right now. You know, like, my precious. (laughs) I know. And, like, honestly, my new uplifting hobby is just going to be watching all of these elderly people in the UK getting these vaccines and talking about it. You made history today. You're the first person that we've vaccinated in Bristol. In Bristol? That's you. Yeah. Oh. Like, this is my new fix. It's not puppy videos anymore, it's this. I'm 98, but I suppose it's a bit of excitement. That's how we'll pass the time until it's our turn. Right. <laughs> I'm Jeremy Siegel. This is Politico Dispatch. And today... We sure do want it now, but our precious, the vaccine, it's not quite here. So we've got Sarah Overmall with an update on when the U.S. might approve a vaccine for the coronavirus and why other countries are getting it first. On Tuesday, the UK was the first country to administer vaccines outside of clinical trials. 90-year-old Margaret Keenan Well, she'll go down in history. She's become the first person in the world to receive the Pfizer vaccine against COVID-19 outside trial conditions. These pictures are coming into us live now. And we saw a wave of really heartwarming um, and hopeful videos from elderly people, many of them in their 90s. Well, there's no point in dying now when I haven't lived this long, is there? I don't plan to anyway. If I can do it, well... Who were getting these shots saying that, you know, they hadn't seen their grandchildren, hadn't hugged their family all year long, and they were super excited to get this. I've got granddaughters and I want to live a long time to enjoy their lives. Have have you been able to see them much this year, this past year? No, not late, not, not hug them. I'm going to for Christmas. And it was kind of bittersweet because the UK is the first country to be doing this. And the US is still waiting on its own emergency use authorization for that same shot, which is from Pfizer. So on Thursday, an expert panel convened by the Food and Drug Administration is going to meet to discuss this vaccine. And the FDA, it's worth noting, can make a decision whenever it wants to on this. But the point is that we are not going to be the first in the world, and I don't think the U.S. is used to that. (laughs) I want to get into what we could see come out of this FDA meeting. But first, I'm just curious, like with Britain rolling this out on Tuesday, with the U.S. not, why was England so much faster to this than other countries? So every country does have its own regulatory process, and they are, for the most part, if not standardized between the U.S. and Europe, they are harmonized. That said, the U.K. did move very quickly, and it did throw some pressure onto the U.S. and and, and raise some questions about why the U.S. wasn't moving just as fast. There's a few things going on here. Um, Dr. Anthony Fauci did say that he thought that the U.K. went through that very quickly. In all fairness to so many of my U.K. friends, 
they kind of ran around the corner of the uh, of the marathon <laughs> and joined it <laughs> in the last mile. That maybe they did it too fast and that they hadn't considered everything. They really rushed through that approval. The, the, the FDA, the United States of America Food and Drug Administration, is the gold standard of regulation. For the U.S., though, there are multiple factors at play here. The FDA has been dealing with this sort of crisis and confidence from the American public and from some health officials, from some Democratic governors and lawmakers. If we had jumped over the hurdle here quickly and inappropriately to gain an extra week or a week and a half, I think that the credibility of our regulatory process would have been damaged and we would have had more people. So they really wanted to lay out exactly how they were going to go through this process. And a really important part of that for the FDA and for the public was having this advisory committee convene on Thursday. The problem there is that you can only move so fast with that. This is a group of experts. It's usually about 20 people. You have to give a certain amount of time for notice for that meeting. And then the FDA has to compile this big comprehensive report on what it got from the drug makers, what it feels about that data, what its concerns are, and what questions it wants to ask that advisory committee. So all told, they couldn't really move faster once they decided that they were going to go through this very public path, even if that does mean losing a few days. And it could be just a few days. We don't know if they hand down their authorization decision this week right after that meeting or if it's next week. But all things told, are we expecting the vaccine to get an emergency use authorization? Are we going to see it approved? We are expecting uh, the, the authorization. So approval is a bit different. That will take longer. That will happen after there is more data, including data from everybody who's been in the trials and follow up for months and, and even in, in some cases years. But emergency use authorization is the thing that we do expect. And we expect that because the FDA released uh, briefing documents on Tuesday morning that summarized what they had gotten from the drug makers, and they were largely positive. The FDA was saying, we believe, based on what they've given us, on how they designed their trials, on the information they had, the safety things that happened, we think that this is a safe and effective vaccine. That expert panel that they convene on Thursday is going to vote on that, and they don't have to take what that panel says into account, but they generally do. But there is not really any expectation that there's going to be concerns about the Pfizer vaccine. It's uh, positive data, more than 95% effective. The safety concerns are not super concerning. I feel like we should say that it could hurt when you get that vaccine. You could mm -hmm. get some soreness in your arms, some some headaches, some fatigue, but there's not really high-risk things going on. So all, all in all, this is pretty ideal for the first candidate, and we don't expect there to be problems with it getting authorized. So let's say this big meeting happens on Thursday, everything goes well, and say on Friday they give it the emergency use authorization. Does that mean anything for everyday people like you and me? I mean, just looking at this New York Times tracker of like when you might be in line to get a vaccine, um, you know, looking at that, I have 144.1 million people across the U.S. ahead of me. Does seeing this getting emergency use authorization in the coming days, does it mean anything for me and you and the millions of people just before and just after me in line for a vaccine? No, not right away. So the first people who are going to get this are going to be healthcare workers, followed closely, if not in tandem, by um, 
elderly people who live in long-term care facilities are otherwise at a very high risk for getting the virus. And, and we know that they um, are also at very high risk for hospitalization and death from the virus. So those are going to be the two top priority groups, especially for the first month, likely the second, likely the third. Um, a lot of the decisions about how to allot that will go to state governors, but that's generally the guideline that they are following is that those are the top priority groups. As we get through the months, there will be more opportunity for people like you and me to get the vaccines, but there also will likely be more vaccines. So the Moderna vaccine is going to go for that same review from that expert FDA panel next week. If the Moderna vaccine is authorized as well, we have doubled the supply that's immediately available. One big question that we do have is what's going to happen with the next two. So we have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, which is expected to come in January, but another one from AstraZeneca. We're not entirely sure when that one is going to come. There are a few questions about the data there, about the dosing, things like that. And that's the one that actually the U.S. government made one of its biggest bets on. So it made an agreement for $300 million doses of that shot versus 100 million for the other three we just talked about. So when we talk about getting everybody vaccinated in spring, it's unclear if the AstraZeneca vaccine is factored into that. It probably is. And what would happen if that one is delayed or it is limited in who it goes to? So there's a good chance that you and I are going to be getting something totally different from what we're watching these these British elderly folks get in, the, in these videos we've been watching. Yes, definitely. Especially because the Pfizer vaccine, like we said earlier, it doesn't have many safety concerns, so it could be very ideal for these elderly, adorable British folks. Um, <laughs> but there could be other ones that are better for you and me. And then there's going to be other ones or the same ones once they get more data that will be used for children. We don't actually have really any data in children that are under 16 years old. So someone's going to have to step into that void as well. And that could be a totally different shot. Sarah Overmall, thanks so much for talking with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Also today, President-elect Joe Biden is vowing to administer 100 million coronavirus vaccinations and reopen most schools during his first 100 days in office. Biden made the pledges alongside some of his picks to lead key health agencies on Tuesday and repeated his promise to mandate face coverings on airplanes and federal buildings and other places under the government's control. Biden did stress, though, that those steps will not come close to bringing the pandemic to an end and that vaccinating the rest of the population, supporting overwhelmed hospitals and assisting the tens of millions of people who have lost their health insurance will require a massive effort from both the executive branch and Congress, saying, quote, we did not get into this mess quickly and it's going to take time to fix. And the Supreme Court is rejecting a bid by a Republican member of Congress and other GOP activists to overturn President-elect Joe Biden's win in Pennsylvania. In an order on Tuesday afternoon, the justices turned down the emergency request from Representative Mike Kelly and two other House candidates to decertify the results of last month's election in the state. The suit, which was rejected by Pennsylvania courts, argued that legislation the state adopted last year allowing for no excuse mail-in voting violated the state constitution and that the results of last month's vote should therefore be invalidated. The high court shot down the effort without comment or noted dissent. 
Subscribe to Politico Dispatch wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to stay up on all the latest news on Biden's transition to the White House, like who he's choosing for some of the top jobs in the federal government, be sure to subscribe to Politico's Transition Playbook newsletter. You can do that at politico.com slash newsletters. I'm Jeremy Siegel. Thanks for listening.